We're going to do three things in this passage. If you guys would look at your Bibles with me, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about what it means to grow up into our salvation. That's what he says at the end of verse two. So we're going to think about what it means to grow up into our salvation. And here's the question that we all need to ask ourselves in this first section. We need to ask ourselves, do I want to grow up into my salvation? Do I want to grow up into my salvation? Now, you guys know that the right answer to that question is yes, but I'm going to try to explain it to you, pitch you on the idea of growing up into our salvation along with Peter. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to think about if we want to grow up in our salvation, what are some of the things that we need to remove or detach ourselves from. And for that, we're going to look at verse 1. Peter is going to tell us there that we need to put away or put off or take off uh, things like malice or deceit or envy or hypocrisy or slander. These things need to go from our lives if we want to grow up into salvation. And then the last thing we're going to think about today is really the major um, exhortation that Peter gives in this passage. We're going to think about what we need to then do if we do want to grow up into salvation. Uh, there's not only things to take off, but there's something to add on to our lives. And the way that Peter says it in verse 2 is he says, you need to, like newborn babies, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, I find that a lot of times with phrases like that in the Bible, it's very tempting for us as believers to hear them and go like, oh yeah, definitely gotta desire the pure spiritual milk will for sure do that. Don't know what it is, but I will definitely give it a shot. So we're gonna ask the question, what is the pure spiritual milk that Peter is talking about? Try to identify that so that we can then add this desire into our lives so that we might grow. So the first question, do I want to grow up into salvation? That's the phrase there at the end of verse two. Whatever Peter is gonna tell us to not do or to do today, he is telling us to do these things so that we might grow up, he says at the end of verse two, grow up into our salvation. Now, this is helpful to us because it helps us understand that growth spiritually is a process that we are engaged in in the Christian life. This is true throughout the entirety of the New Testament. We have decisions that we make that can help us in our pursuit of godliness. Paul said it this way to Timothy in 1 Peter 4, verse 7. He said, Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness, just like an athlete trains weight lifts, practices, eats a certain way in order to excel in their athletic endeavor. So we, as Christians, are to train ourselves for godliness. And there's a certain thing that we're called to eat, the pure spiritual milk, which we'll look at at the end of our teaching. But Peter is helping us understand that we are involved in this process. Now, what does it mean to grow up into our salvation? One thing that it does not mean is it does not mean that there is something that we can do 
to earn our salvation. You guys know this, right? We know that the gospel is good news. It's not the bad news of every other religion that's ever existed telling us all the things we must do in order to gain some kind of version of salvation. It's a gift that God has given to those who believe in Jesus. We call it grace. God has graced us. God has given to us. God has deposited righteousness into the account of every person that's believed in his son, Jesus. So we know that we cannot earn salvation. I need an amen here or else I'm just thinking like, you guys do not. Have you ever heard this before? Okay, so we, we know this. This is grace that we receive. So it's not earning our salvation. How has Peter been speaking of salvation in this book? He's been thinking about it in two ways. One way he's been thinking about it is it's something that is coming when Jesus returns. He'll set up his kingdom. He will save his people. So in one sense, growing up into salvation basically means we want to grow and progress spiritually at every stage of our lives until Jesus comes back. That's what we want to do. We want to just keep growing till Jesus comes with all his salvation. But there's another element that Peter speaks of salvation as. It's the thing that we currently have right now. We are saved right now. And this is a biblical idea, that we are saved, but the Lord is asking us to grow up into the salvation that he has given to us. You know, when I was a, when I was a, a young boy, like a lot of boys, when I hit those early teenage years, I had some crazy growth spurts. You know, just crazy fast. You didn't see me for four or five months and then like, whoa, what happened to you? You just grew like a foot, you know, kind of things that I would go through. I remember one summer in particular, I started the summer out and my mom said, you're not chubby, you're husky. And then by the end of the summer, I was just this long, stretched out guy with these long arms, and I was taller than, you know, other people. And I mean, it was just kind of a rapid growth that had occurred in my life. And my mother had a strategy. One thing that she would do is when we, it was time for me to buy a new pair of shoes, she would never buy me the size that I was at that time because she knew you're going to outgrow these shoes before you wear out these shoes. So she'd get me shoes that were one or two sizes bigger than my feet were at that moment. So I'd be walking around, say, with size 13 shoes. And if you asked me the question, what size shoe are you wearing? I'd say size 13. If you asked me the question, what size feet do you have? I'd have to say, well, size 10, but my mom thinks I'm going to grow into these size 13s. That's the idea of growing up into our salvation. When you become a Christian, you get the righteousness of Jesus. You get the righteousness of Christ. You are saved, but now... Though we have temptations and struggles and weaknesses, our desire is to grow up into the salvation that he has already given to us. This helps us know and understand, since Peter is encouraging us in this direction, that this is not something that happens accidentally. It's not something that happens magically. We are to be involved, and we're going to spend the rest of our teaching thinking about how we are involved. But before moving forward, let's ask ourselves that question. Do I want to grow up into my salvation? Do I want to make spiritual progress? Do we want to grow in Christ's likeness? Do we want to be spiritually healthy, strong before the Lord? Now, personally, I think that part of the reason why Peter is giving this exhortation here is because 
he sees how essential, how vital this perspective or attitude is for the people that he was specifically writing to. Remember, I've been telling you week after week that Peter sees the Christians that he's writing to as a group of people that are experiencing some of the lower levels of persecution. They've been slandered. They've been the targets of malicious words. They're beginning to be marginalized for their faith. Some of them might have even at this point begun to experience uh, financial persecution. In other words, they can't get the same jobs or careers that they could have gotten if they weren't believers in Jesus. And he's preparing them throughout the letter for even more serious versions of persecution, physical, that might come into their lives in the future. And I think Peter understands something. I think Peter understands that if a believer who's called to live an exilic version of Christianity. That's what he calls these Christians. He calls them exiles, sojourners, pilgrims, aliens. A believer who's called to live that kind of Christian life where their Christianity is pushed to the margins of their society, if they do not make a strong commitment to intentional spiritual growth and development, they don't stand a chance for the difficulties and the trials that are to come. I've been telling you throughout this teaching series that there are wrong responses to that kind of marginalization. There's the getting angry uh, in a sinful kind of way at society. That's the wrong response. There's the fleeing like in fear or as cowards away from society and sort of sequestering ourselves away from it. But that's not our calling. We're supposed to be like Daniel in Babylon, being a blessing to our society. Then there's the response that just conforms beliefs, doctrines to the culture at large. Christianity losing its edge, losing its shape because it's being conformed to society. No, we're not to angrily fight. We're not to cowardly flee and we're not to conform to society, but we're to stand firm. And in order to stand firm, you've got to make a commitment in your life that a major emphasis and target of your life will be to develop your spiritual health, to continue to grow in Christ up into the salvation that you have given to him. Now, in asking that question, do I, do you want to grow up into salvation, Peter has a little bit of an answer in mind. I don't know if you've ever had a friend who seemingly has a Bible verse for every situation. You know, you're just driving down the road, you try to tell him something going on in your life, he's like, well, that reminds me of a passage, you know, and, and you're like, oh, wow, you just kind of know the Bible in and out. Well, Peter was one of those guys, and he had a Bible verse for this feeling. It came from Psalm 34, verse 8. That's what he recorded in verse 3 of 1 Peter 2. He said, you should do this if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. That comes from Psalm 34, verse 8. You see, in Peter's mind, the reason why we want to grow up into our salvation, to get everything out of what the Lord has for us that we can possibly get out of him, is because we've already tasted that the Lord is good. Everything we've gotten from the Lord so far has been amazing. So why wouldn't we want to get everything that we can possibly get from our relationship with him? We want to go as far as possible because everything that we've enjoyed up to this point has been good. And you know this about the Lord, amen? You know that the Lord is good. He's been there for you when you failed him. 
He's been there for you when you betrayed him. He's been there for you when you've fallen into sin. He's been there for you when you've been weak. He's been there for you when you've returned to him. He's been there for you when you fell into sin you never thought you could commit. He has been present for your life, and he stood with you through trials. He's given you wisdom. He's given you guidance. He's been a friend to you that is closer than any brother could ever be. That's the Lord. He is good, and we have tasted his goodness. That's Peter's argument. So do we want to grow in our salvation? Absolutely, because we've tasted that the Lord is good. But the second thing that I told you we need to talk about is, are there any things that we need to detach ourselves from? Any things that we need to put away in life? And for that, I want you to look again in your Bibles in verse 1. There are some attitudes that we need to put away. Peter said we need to put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. These are all bad things, right? Nobody ever says to themselves, you know what I want to be? I want to be a slanderous person. I want to have malice. These are all negative things. I'll remind you that in the last few weeks, as we've been going through 1 Peter, Peter started out his letter by telling us there were four major attitudes he wanted us to have. That if we have them, we can endure exilic Christianity. One of them is hope. He said in verse 13 of chapter 1, I want you guys to be setting your hope fully on the grace that is coming when Jesus returns. We've got to be hopeful people. A second one is holiness. We need to be holy like our Father in heaven is holy. A, a third one is fear. We need to conduct the time of our exile in fear, he said. That means that we're respecting God, and we also have a healthy understanding of what sin could do in our lives if it went unchecked. And then fourthly, lastly, what we saw last week is that he told us we need to love one another. That's the kind of community that Peter envisions. Hopeful, holy, fearing God, loving one another. And then he says, right after telling us all of those beautiful attributes, he says, but you got to take off these five things. You see, nothing destroys the community that Peter envisions, the church community that loves each other, that operates in the reverence of God and an understanding of what sin could do to us, a pursuit of holiness and a hopeful mentality. Nothing destroys that like malice, Envy, hypocrisy, deceit, these things destroy from within. And Peter tells us we must take them off. Now the reason that he mentions these, of course, is because this is the community he's trying to protect. You see, malice, what is that? It's a simmering and festering and angry dislike of someone else. Deceit means to catch someone by baiting a hook or setting a trap. Hypocrisy means to wear a mask, to be acting as if you're something that you're not. Envy is resenting or longing for someone else's possessions, experiences, lifestyle, or position in life. And slander, slander is driven by a critical spirit. Sometimes it says untrue things. Sometimes it says things that are partially true. Sometimes it says things that are true, but in the wrong way or with the wrong emphasis. And sometimes it says the true things in the wrong venue or the wrong place when it's none of your business. And all five of these sins must be destroyed and put away. Christ has delivered us from all of these things. We are no longer really this. That's the old nature. So we need to put off that old person and be new 
in Christ. So we've got to watch out for each one of these things. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that when I read these five things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, one of the first things that I think about is social media. <laughs> I mean, it's a breeding ground for us to play in hypocrisy, play in slander, have feelings of envy that rise up within us, to have deceit or malice, a slow-burning anger towards other people. Now, I, I'm, I'm a cranky old man when it comes to social media, so take what I say with a grain of salt. Uh, you guys have heard me give my speeches in the past. I'm with Cal Newport, the author who wrote a book called Digital Minimalism. I love that concept. One of the things he said is, if you gotta have it, then be in control of it. Don't let it control you. Too many believers spend so much of their time in an unplanned fashion, living in the social media world, getting stoked up, angry, upset, deceived, um, or also just wasting their time. I think it's better to say, here's the time, I'm gonna be on it. It's gonna be at this place at this time, and then when I'm done, I give it a break for the next week, and then I enjoy it again when the next week comes. But the point that I'm trying to make today is not how to do social media, but the point I'm making today is we must be cautious about what it might draw out of us. It's not social media's fault, it's within the heart. The tendency to want to be hypocritical, envious, to slander others, to deceive others, to pass along information that is untrue and unchecked, or to have malice in our heart toward a group that we see online. We've got to avoid that trap. We've got to put these things, Peter said, away. All right, so we've talked about what it means to grow up into salvation. We've talked about something we need to put off, but what do we need to put on? That's what we're going to conclude with today. We need to do this. We need to desire the pure spiritual milk. Look at verse 2 with me. He said it like this. He said, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. All right, so what is the pure spiritual milk? This is something we're supposed to crave, desire, long for. What is the pure spiritual milk? Some of you might answer that question by saying, well, it's got to be the Bible. It's got to be the Word. And maybe one of the reasons why you'd say that is because some Bible translators say uh, the pure spiritual milk of the word. And the reason that they put that in there is because when Peter says this, he uses a Greek word that's actually pretty tricky to interpret. It's a Greek word, I'm probably going to butcher the, the uh, pronunciation, but logikos or logikos. He uses that word. It's a word that could be translated spiritual. That's how our Bibles here, the English Standard Version translated. It could be translated metaphorical, or it could be translated logical, which is where you might get the idea of the logic of the Bible, the logic of communication or the word, so it must be the Bible. So what is Peter talking about? Is he talking about the spiritual milk? Is he talking about the metaphorical milk? I think he is talking about metaphorical milk, but that goes without saying. He's definitely not talking about literal milk that we need to go out and drink. You know, make sure you get 2%. That's not what he's saying. Or is he talking about logical milk, like the, the word itself? It's hard to decipher. It's hard to understand. So one way that you can try to figure out a misunderstood phrase is to look at what comes before and what comes after 
that passage. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I really hope that you have your Bibles. I love, I love, I'm cool with seeing the digital Bibles. That's fine. Please put it on airplane mode. That's helpful to me. But uh, I like seeing the paper Bibles uh, better. That's probably my favorite thing. But you need a Bible. It's really hard to be a Bible teacher if you don't have the Bible in front of you in some way, shape, or form. But look in your Bibles at chapter 1, verse 23. He said there that we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So Peter's been talking about the living and abiding word of God. So that might give us a clue as to what the pure spiritual milk is. Maybe it is the word of God. But we've got to go on and see what he says after. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. We already talked about it. He said, if indeed we have tasted that the Lord is good. So desire the pure spiritual milk. If indeed you've tasted not the word, not the Bible, but you've tasted that the Lord is good. So for these reasons, I think what Peter is saying is that the pure spiritual milk includes the Bible, but is more than just Bible study. It's the Lord that we discover in the Bible. This verse is not telling us to make sure that we just study and study and study the Bible forever without any action or without engaging God No, we're called to go to the Word to find Him and all the resources that He has for us to live as we are meant to live. You know, I think of it like this. The pure spiritual milk is everything that God provides, all of which extend from Him and can be found in the Bible to help His people grow up into salvation. Or to put it another way, I think the pure spiritual milk is the Word of the Lord and the Lord of the Word. So we're coming to the word to get God's word, but also to get God, to see who he says he is, who he says we are, and what we must do in light of these incredible truths. Now for me, as your pastor here, my heart for this church is that we would be a word-centered church. You know, for me, I have a vision of the church that we are like a group of people centered around the fire of God's word. You know, we come to God's word to receive illumination. We come to God's word to receive nourishment. We come to God's word to receive warmth and encouragement. And we come to God's word to get each other as we come to the centerpiece of who we are. In fact, this is part of the reason why we structure our services the way that we do. I hope that you hear from the Lord in the teachings, but I also hope there's a sermon that you hear every single week that has nothing to do with what I say, but with the fact that the Bible gets such prominence in our times together, that we want to be a people who Monday through Saturday are centering ourselves around the truth of Scripture. This is what we want to be as God's people, but we don't just want to know it without also being doers of the word. We want to pursue God. We want to enjoy God and then respond to who he is. You know, when I give my children a responsibility, (laughs) you know, I want them to actually do the responsibility. You know, I'm not happy if what they decide to do is merely study the words that I say. You know, did did you hear dad? Dad said, that by tonight, before dinner, we have to 
wash the car. You know, let's, let's think about this. You know, let's discuss it. What do you think about the word car? What does that mean to you? How does it make you feel when you hear that word? And tonight, well, what was that like? You know, what do you think that means? And, and dinner time, let's get into the original Greek language and figure out when dinner time really is. No, what I want them to do is go wash the car before dinner time. I want them to know I'm their dad, they're my kids, we're in a household together, and they've got a responsibility to carry out the directive that I have given to them. That's what, in a sense, we want to be. People who, as we're interacting with the word of the Lord, we see him as the Lord of the word who shapes and directs our lives. So what Peter tells us here is that this pure spiritual milk, we should long for it like newborn infants. It's a great picture, right? We all understand it. You take a newborn baby, and what do they want? They want their mom's milk. You know, and God has given to them this incredible volume system whereby they're able to communicate, I'm hungry right now, you know, feed me kind of thing. They, they have a longing that is innate to them. But here's the interesting thing. Peter is telling us not that this is just a desire we will naturally have as Christians, but that it's a desire we ourselves should long for. In other words, we need to be about the process of cultivating our longing and hunger for the pure spiritual milk. And this, brothers and sisters, is totally possible. You guys have had this experience in life where you have cultivated a taste for something that you did not previously have a taste for. You know, for me, I did not drink coffee at all until I think I was 30 or 31 years old. And at that stage in my life, we had three little toddlers. And at that point, God's gracious gift of the coffee bean came into my life. And you know, at first, it was like I had to add milk and sugar and all this stuff just to get it down. And then over time, I acquired the taste where now I like to drink it without any of that stuff. I like black, straight up coffee, the real stuff, like Jesus drank it, you know? And, and, and it is a taste that I have acquired over time. How can we cultivate or acquire our taste for the pure spiritual milk. Let me close today's teaching by showing you four things we can do to cultivate this hunger for the pure spiritual milk. Number one, don't spoil your appetite. Number one, don't spoil your appetite. Remember what I told you that Peter said we need to have, hope, holiness, fear, love. So when you feast on things that are despairing and absent of hope and pure negativity, you'll spoil your appetite. When you consume things that are unholy, you'll spoil your appetite. When you engage in things that clearly have not thought about God's opinion, lacking the fear of the Lord, you'll spoil your appetite. And when you consume things that put the self above the community, you'll spoil your appetite. Don't spoil your appetite. Number two, appreciate how it was made. Appreciate how the pure spiritual milk was made. We understand this in California. We have collectively a real interest in how our food came to be 
our food, the process that it went through. You know, we're interested in how did our, what did, what did my meat eat before I ate it? What was it eating before it came to be my meal or my food? And maybe you've gone to a restaurant before where they serve you the meal and they're like, you know, this was grown here and we did this and the food and the the cow was eating this. And it's kind of like you come to this conclusion like this was made for me and I was made for it. It's been prepared for me. Your appreciation grows. Well, listen, you need to appreciate that the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word It took the gospel, it took the suffering, the brutal nature of the cross of Christ. It took apostles and prophets and evangelists. It took scribes copying and protecting the word, even in the dark ages where humanity and the devil himself tried to erase or delete the scripture from the public consciousness. God, by his spirit, was preserving the word for us. It took the printing press. It took the digitization of the Bible. It took so many things to get us the truth of God's word. And so we must appreciate what it took to get it to us, appreciate how it was made. And then number three, consume it every day. Number three, consume it every day. Listen, if you want a sporadic relationship with God and a sporadic relationship with his word, he will be there for you whenever you want to pursue him. You know, if once a month you want to crack open the Bible and pursue the Lord of the word inside of his word, he will be there for you. But the way that he's designed it is for a daily experience, a daily relationship, just like the manna in the Old Testament that we might go out each day and partake of what God has for us. And something beautiful happens when you experience it every day. Your appetite for it increases. You know, I'm one of these people that I like to eat the same breakfast and the same lunch every day of my life for the most part. You know, six days a week, I eat the same thing for breakfast and the same thing for lunch. Uh, to me, it's 12 decisions that I don't have to make. I got a lot of decisions to make. There's 12 that I've eliminated from my life. And my kids will look at me like, Dad, how could you eat that every single day? Doesn't it get boring? Well, I found that the opposite happens. My body is now tuned to these specific meals to where a craving begins to develop. I look forward to this same thing every single day. This will happen in a much more beautiful way with the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word. Every day, as you consume it, you'll discover that you are tuned to it. And then number four, and lastly, watch the results. Watch the results. You know, I started this teaching by reminding you of 1 Timothy 4, 17, where Paul told Timothy to train himself for godliness. And athletes, when they train, they exercise in a certain way, they practice in a certain way, and they eat in a certain way. And when they stick with their plan, they see results. And I think that as you are passionate for and daily consume the pure spiritual milk, you will like what happens to you. You will like what you see. And the people in your life will like what they see as well because you will be shaped and conformed into Christ-likeness, becoming more like Jesus. And so I pray that you would just watch the results unfold in your life because you'll be craving more and more of the pure spiritual milk. By the way, that's a great way to discern what we're feasting on. 
if the pure spiritual milk produces great results, and we're not seeing them, then perhaps we need to ask, what have I been spoiling my appetite on? Lord, we come to you today thankful to you for the pure spiritual milk that you have given to us as your people. And we're asking, Lord, that you would strengthen us to be a people in these days of exilic Christianity who commit to spiritual growth, who make this a priority in life, who put off these negative attitudes and put on a craving for the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word. We love you so much, Lord. We're so thankful to you. And we pray that you would hold our hand through this next week. Give us the strength that we need to endure it and to live it well in your name. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We pray together. Amen.